Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. A place that has formally announced high-level transmission of the coronavirus once again. Between Friday and Monday alone, the state announced more than 450 new cases of COVID-19. And the state's seven-day new case average is the highest it's been since May. The CDC is urging people to mask in areas with substantial or high spread, even if vaccinated. And while some states and cities are re-examining requirements, Governor McKee hasn't changed his tune. As of now, there is no broad requirement for vaccinated Rhode Islanders to mask indoors. Last year, less than 8% of state business contracts, things like road projects and school construction jobs, were awarded to minority-owned enterprises, also known as MBEs. That's below the 10% marker promised by the state and could mean a hefty loss of potential income for minority-owned businesses already struggling to keep up with white-owned competitors. My guest today wants to change that. Representative Karen Elzate is the chair of Rhode Island's Legislative Black and Latino Caucus. This group of legislators is calling for accountability from the state and asking them to make good on their promises to minority-owned businesses. A look at the goals of the Black and Latino Caucus with Representative Karen Elzate after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Representative Karen Elzate was elected to the State House of Representatives in November 2018. She's a Democrat who represents District 60 in Pawtucket. She's a member of the House Education Committee and the House Labor Committee, among others. Earlier this year, she was elected chairwoman of the Rhode Island Legislative Black and Latino Caucus, 
which has been in the headlines, calling for the state to meet requirements for awarding contracts to minority-owned businesses. Representative Elzate, thank you for joining us here today. Hi, thank you for having me. Hey, to start with, can you tell us a bit about the first time you ran for the assembly in 2018? Yeah, so um, I was born and raised in Rhode Island. My parents migrated here from Columbia in the early 80s. Uh, I'm first generation. I went to our public schools. And now I'm older and, you know, I finished um, all my education, I think. Um, And, you know, I started to see so many things in our city that I used to enjoy as a kid just kind of like disappearing or buildings being torn down. And, you know, things weren't happening. And so... I started to get involved because I, you know, I'm getting to the point where I'm paying taxes and, uh, you know, you start to see and realize like you're paying all this money and nothing is really happening in the city. So um, I majored in political science at RIC. Um, and so I started to notice like the lack of representation for people of color in the city. And little by little, it was really awesome to see, you know, people I grew up with or people that I knew from um, the community, like Representative Tabone who ran. Um, now you have Senator Khan who ran. And um, so, you know, you start to think like, if they could do this, I could do this as well. And so it's just been wonderful to like really understand, um, you know, my, the constituents because they were, they live the same lives that I did or, or do. Their kids go to the same schools that I do. Some of the teachers are still there, which has been really awesome. Um, and so it's just nice to represent the city that I live in and that I grew up in. Uh, you, you mentioned your parents immigrated from Columbia, and they were able to send you to college. You went to Rhode Island College for the for undergrad, and yes. you went to Roger Williams yes. for a master's degree. Yes. And has that shaped your focus on education during your time up at the assembly? Absolutely. Um, I, I, when I was doing my master's, I realized that um, I didn't have many teachers of color growing up. And I realized that I'd always have to like over explain myself, um, you know, my lived experiences or why I, I thought the way that I did. Uh, what were some of my own political beliefs? Um, and so um, having a teacher of color I, during my master's program just made that so much easier. And so um, I was raised to believe that education is power, knowledge is power. Um, And so I kind of just took, I take that with me everywhere I go. And now in the um, General Assembly, even more so. As the leader of the Black and Latino Caucus, you recently pointed out that Rhode Island law requires that at least 10% of the value of state contracts goes to minority and women-owned businesses. And, you know, that can mean big business for, for people of color. Yet, the state has only met that mandate twice in the past six years. Uh, the state waived that requirement during the pandemic. So what are you hearing from minority business owners about this? So this isn't new, right? Like this is something that we've been hearing for a really long time. What I'm hearing about it is from, you know, our school's construction. Um, That's a huge thing in our state. And so I know that a lot of our MBEs really want to be able to be partners in that, right? And so absolutely, Um, you know, big uh, shout outs to uh, Chairwoman Williams and Representative Geraldo and Senator Cano and Arcano um, and, you know, the rest of the, the caucus who have really been like pointing this out and how important this is. Well, oh, that's a good example yeah. of the school building projects because yeah. there, there's going to be a lot of school building projects across Rhode Island Absolutely. in the years ahead, including the the uh, assembly just gave Central Falls approval for bonding for a new high school. Absolutely. And, and that's going to be yeah. very important in, in Central Falls, right? Yeah, it's going to be huge for uh, for Central Falls. Um, it's a city that I love as well. Um, and, you know, our communities definitely need uh, bigger and better schools. You know, uh, our population is not getting any smaller, um, if anything. 
think it's growing, especially the Latinos. Um, and what better than to learn in a better school? And you have all these outcomes when you when you go to school and um, in, in a great building and all of these things, morale for the teachers, students want to learn. Um, you get new technologies, which, you know, you can't be mad about that. So the minority businesses should be part of those projects. Is, Absolutely. One hundred percent. They should be a part of every single project that we do in the state. You know, the decision to waive that requirement prompted legislation barring the state from waiving the minority contract requirements during a declared state of emergency like the pandemic. Uh, Governor McKee didn't sign the bill, but he let it become law without a signature. And in the transmittal letter, he said, he, you know, he was concerned that it could categorically limit the state's flexibility in a declared state of emergency. What do you say to that? I don't think that's true. I have to um, disagree. I think that um, in a state of emergency, just like we saw with the Department of Health, we need all hands on deck. And to, for some reason, you know, exclude, uh, maybe not purposely, one group of people, or actually, no, I take that back, purposely to, um, you know, exclude uh, MBEs, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's really what it is. Um, in a state of emergency, whatever the emergency is, everybody who is able to help needs to be on board. And so when you exclude uh, a, you know, a part of it, it doesn't make any sense. Can you talk about what the impact of the pandemic was on communities of color, on businesses owned by people of color in Rhode Island? I mean, wasn't it even more important for the state to meet the 10% contract requirement during the pandemic? Absolutely. We had a really great opportunity to not only meet it, but probably exceed it. Um, and we didn't take advantage of that. Uh, small businesses in my community, uh, they were hit really hard. Um, they, in general, get hit really hard, right? Especially when you have big box stores down the street, whether it's in Massachusetts or in Providence, um, because I'm right, I'm, you know, I am a border town to Massachusetts, right? So that's one. Um, my community specifically, uh, we talk a lot about Central Falls and because, uh, you know, they're, they're a really small city, really dense, highly populated, but Pawtucket was hit just as hard with the pandemic, right? Uh, people couldn't go to work. One part of my district um, actually got hit really hard and nobody really talks about that. And so trying to make sure that people were getting, uh, were able to pay their rent, were able to um, stay healthy, multi-generational. We talk about that, right? We talk about multi-family homes. Um, they were hit really hard. And so uh, when you exclude one group of people from being able to work during an emergency, it's not something that sits right with myself and obviously my colleagues at the state. So, you know, that law is in place now, but it's rare to have a state of emergency. You know, is, isn't there a larger problem with compliance uh, with the requirement for the 10% of, of state contracts going to minority businesses? You know, what more needs to happen? What, what could be done to enforce this? So that's something that the caucus and I, we discuss, like, what is it, what's the penalty that we can, we can add to this, right? There needs to be something that um, really puts MBEs in the form for, in, in WBEs. Um, we need, there's no penalty right now. There's no penalty for not meeting that. Um, this has been around for 30 plus years. Um, it hasn't been met. Um, and we can't continue to like allow this. There's some barriers to MBEs not being, um, um, winning these bids or whatever have you, right? Um, but these are also bids that, or these are also barriers that 
the state could actually really help with, right? Uh, we know that MBEs are much smaller um, and we know that they don't have the capital to front the money for some of these big projects. And so they need the state to really be on top of these payments. Yeah, you point out this law was, goes back how long? When was, What year was it passed? So I think it was uh, 1986. 86. And what yeah. was the, just to point out, what was the goal? What was it trying to address? Yeah, so I... It really was trying to address what we're trying to address now, and this is ridiculous, right? So a little bit of history from Chairwoman Williams is Senator Metz had tried to put this in because minority business enterprises were coming up or were here, right? And they wanted to be able to take a piece of the pie, right, for example. And there was nothing in place saying that we you, we had to include them. And so uh, when Senator Metz met, you know, put this legislation in uh, with other senators, he they also added the Portuguese, a minority, to this. And so what happens is, if history serves us right, uh, we know that Portuguese people are not necessarily minorities the way that uh, many of us in, um, identify as. And so what happens is you end up giving a lot of these MBEs projects um, to Portuguese-owned businesses, and then they say that you're meeting the quota. But in reality, you're not because a lot of it, they're much bigger bigger contractors or subcontractors, whatever have you. And then the real MBEs, they're not the ones being um, being awarded these projects. So that was proposed this year, right? What were some of the uh, changes proposed this year to the, the Minority Business Enterprise Program? Yeah. So one of the one of them was uh, make sure that we meet the 10%, right? Uh, the other one was making sure that we uh, we wanted to actually, instead of 10%, we move it up to 25%. Right. And so that's difficult because we're not even, even meeting, not meeting the, the 10%, 10 percent. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then um, also mm -hmm. taking out Portuguese as part of the minority group. Um, and so there's a lot of pushback uh, because of that. And totally understandable because they would be losing out on these bids. However, they do not belong in this category. Yeah. And that didn't pass. And that year. didn't pass this year. Yeah, this, this year's General Assembly is the most diverse in Rhode Island history, with 21 people of color in the 113-member legislature. Uh, while I'm sure individual legislators have different priorities, what would you identify as the top three legislative goals for the Black and Latino Caucus? Yeah, so uh, that's such a great question. So we had a really good year. We passed the source of income bill, right? So that's a huge Explain one. Explain that. that. That has to do with housing discrimination. Absolutely. So um, if you have a lawful source of income, you can show that you can pay for the rent through a lawful source of income. Um, they can't, you know, no landlords can discriminate against that. Yeah. That's talking about if you have sexual vouchers, if you have Social Security, um, if it's it's taxable income, really, right? So that's huge um, because we know that there is a big myth around the fact that if you have Section 8, you are a certain kind of population that people don't like for whatever reason, and they're going to tell you no, they're, they're not going to rent to you. If you have any lawful source of income and they tell you no, that's discriminatory. That's one. Uh, we also passed uh, minimum wage, right? Minimum wage is huge. Um, I a think a pathway to fifteen dollars yes, an hour, right? A pathway to fifteen dollars an hour. So you get a dollar increase up up until we get to fifteen dollars. Uh, this has been a huge fight, a huge win. $15 an hour is still not enough. Um, however, we are, we're working towards making sure that people are able to get a live, uh, a minimum livable, livable wage. 
Um, so those are some of the legislative battles you won. Let's yes. talk about a few that remain to be fought in uh, in the near future, I would say, For right? Sure. The, the murder of George Floyd focused the nation's attention on issues of police misconduct and discipline. Yet despite the marches and intensive legislative debate, no changes were made uh, to Rhode Island's Law Enforcement Officers Bill of Rights this year. What was the, why wasn't there progress on that front this year? And what are the sticking points? So I think that, you know, uh, the Law Enforcement Bill of Rights is a big bill, right? Um, you're dealing with a very huge um, organization, if you will, the police, right? Um, there's no uh, good or right way to tell them that what they're doing is wrong or right, right? Um, and so I think that they're, like, I keep saying this, and I know people don't like it, but I have to stay true to who I am. And it's, we need to have a really big, ugly, hard discussion about why we are so upset at the police and why the police are so upset at us, right? It goes both ways. Um, you know, as if you can imagine, legislators are not perfect. And so we don't, we don't know it all and we really need help. But what's happening is because it's such a big issue, because it's so publicized that I think it turns people away. Um, and so whatever, whatever side you stand on, I think it's, we have to be honest with ourselves. We need to have a really big, uh, productive, constructive, ugly, you know, conversation. The assembly also did not pass legislation that would have provided driver's licenses for undocumented residents. What's the holdup there? And, and when would you expect that issue to come back to the front burner? Yeah, so um, I definitely think that this there is a great momentum this time around. I think that um, some of the coalition members uh, kind of felt bad that maybe they pushed other issues and this wasn't one of the ones that they pushed early on in the session. We're going to bring this up in the fall. Um just to make sure, you know, let people know that we're, this is still really important to us. However, um, the leadership is really willing to work with this in January. Hmm. And I also want to ask you about the Black and Latino Caucus. It seems like it's become more active this year. What what, what are your plans going forward? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's... It's such a great caucus to have. There's so many of us and we need to get our voices together. So there's 21 of us this year. It never hurts to have more uh, people of color in, um, you know, places of leadership. So, uh, you know, it's really highlighting the fact that we are here and that we are trying to stand up for, for our community. Representative Alzate, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you so much. Here are a few other stories you should check out this week from Globe, Rhode Island. The state attorney general has declined to release body camera footage captured during the arrest of three teenagers last month. That's despite pressure from local politicians and activists. Two police officers have been accused of using excessive force and suspended from duty with pay. The investigation is still ongoing. Amanda Milkovitz brings us that report. Catch Dan McGowan's latest column where he interviews former state representative Myra Walsh and two-time Senate candidate Jennifer Douglas. He talks with the pair about their latest project, a podcast that he says is a mix of statehouse gossip, the occasional policy explainer, and plenty of unfiltered opinions. And while you're with us, check out Alexa Gagas' latest on Ocean Biomedical, a Brown University bioscience spinoff that plans to go public. 
Find all these stories and more at globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Caitlin Harrop, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering this week by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. Got a tip? Have someone you think we should talk to? We'd love to hear your ideas. Send us an email at rinews at globe.com. And if you like the show, do us a favor. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next Thursday. to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows, you need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all anytime and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.